0: To Gore
1: Report, Dun Dun Dun, a true crime podcast. (laughs) What the fuck was that? I have no idea. It just (laughs) left my lips. It slipped on my tongue and left my lips.
0: Well, you know, at at least we keep things interesting.
1: (laughs) Or at least we try. We try our very hardest. Gosh darn it.
0: Gosh darn it. Well, hi, hello, everybody. We hope that you're having a good day, a good good week. week. And a a good good life.
1: Life. Oh, whoa.
0: I don't know what that was either.
1: I I don't know. There was a switch. The octave just, I don't know. It was weird. But that's what you get.
0: Listen, guys, there's been a whole lot of weirdness. And if I sound way too upbeat for your liking today, just know that things have been interesting over the past week, week (laughs) and a half. (laughs) I want to thank everybody again for all of the birthday wishes. It warmed my little ghoul heart. I really appreciated it.
1: Yes, our listeners are seriously the best. Like, I just, I get taken back every single day by how kind all of you are. It's crazy that any of you can tolerate us. <laughs> crazy.
0: My birthday wasn't that bad, even though, uh, even though you and I hung out and, you know, we had a pretty good time. hmm Oh, the norovirus has hit my household. <laughs>
1: Oh no! So my
0: dad got sick, and then my mom got sick on my birthday. So I I pretty much spent the entire day taking care of her, not complaining, but it was still it was a lot. And then because I was taking care of her, I got sick. So I was really scared that this episode wasn't going to be released until like further into the weekend. Because you know, I had to worry about being contagious and all that other stuff. But
1: right, because I love you, I'm not getting sick for I, you. I don't want you to get sick. I'm I'm not doing it, especially
0: so. I, like especially like. Oh. It was not fun. I escaped, it just wasn't
1: fun. I escaped the trenches by the skin of my fingers.
0: With your ass in hand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I have a strong feeling is not going to be there by the time we finish today.
0: Nope, nope, definitely not. Asshole completely gone. If I haven't destroyed your asshole in part one, I am definitely planning on doing that here today in part two. Oh
1: no. So you hear that to everyone who may possibly have their ass in their hands. Treasure it while you can. Treasure it. It never lasts long here.
0: Treasure it. Cherish so, it. you know, if uh if my upbeatness is just a little bit weird, just know that I am definitely feeling better. I am more so uh enjoying my birthday today than, than i did on, on my actual birthday but right right i got right. a new gaming headset for my birthday
1: yes i know it's wonderful i love it so much more excuse for us just to stay away from the outside and all people and all social contact and slowly just fold in on ourselves in our bedroom where we play Genshin and skyrim and talk for hours and hours about our secrets and like pretty things we see outside and Brief. I went too far, didn't I? Breathe. <laughs> it's okay. It's what? okay. I literally started leaving this plane. It's <laughs> associating.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. Well, without further ado, we're gonna go ahead and jump right into this because I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to get through today. Oh, I have man. a lot of stuff that I came across and I'm just like excited to share it with you guys because it blew my mind. I'm pretty sure it's going to blow your mind.
1: Oh, yeah. I've been very excited slash not excited for this. I just, I know you went to the trenches, bitch. I know you went to the trenches. Oh,
0: I went ham. I went salt cured ham.
1: So I'm going to take your place this episode (laughs) saying uh, sit back, relax, um, baby grab some snacks and uh,
0: something for your anxiety.
1: Yay. David Beckerwitz part two. Also, you guys, before we officially start, if you hear breathing, uh, that is Lolly. I've posted her on our Instagram. She's my pit bull, but uh, she's a little cuddle butt. And we're recording this in my room today. And she is curled up, guest starring on the David Berkowitz episode. (laughs) and she has passed out so if you hear a little bit of her snoring or breathing lightly don't I am, get uncomfortable don't get uncomfortable <laughs> it's just some it's just some sweet little pit snores <laughs> just some sweet little pit snores no, nothing nothing to freak out over i promise but uh yeah <laughs>
0: well to jump right in from where we left off in part 1 on April 17th 1977 David Berkowitz shot and killed Valentina francesca seriani and alexander isow now when the police arrived at the scene they found a white envelope in the street next to the car and it was addressed to captain joe Borelli. and this was a direct message from the killer and he was professing his name to be the son of
1: sam fucking shit man
0: now i actually managed to find the entire letter
1: oh yeah you said that in part one that you found the entire letter oh wow
0: which i understand has been something that has been a little difficult to get a hold of for certain sources because they were only paraphrasing certain
1: parts right right right. so
0: this is what the killer had to say i am deeply hurt by your calling me a weeman hater spelled w-e-m-o-n weeman yeah so, um,
1: holy shit! um
0: I will explain in a little bit after the letter is over, but it is spelled W-E-M-O-N. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill. Or else, keep out of my way, or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot, it hurts, Sunny boy. Literally, that's in the letter. <sighs> I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house. But I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. <laughs>
1: The chubby behemoth.
0: (laughs) The chubby behemoth. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Let me continue.
1: Holy (laughs) shit, David.
0: I love to hunt. Prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir. I don't want to kill anymore. No, sir. Spelled S-U-R no more but i must honor thy father i want to make love to the world i love people i don't belong on earth return me to yahoos (laughs) to the people of queens i love you and i want to wish you all a happy easter may god bless you in this life and in the next and for now i say goodbye and good night police let me haunt you with these words i'll be back i'll be back to be interpreted as Bang, 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 bang. Ugh. Yours and murder, Mr. Monster.
1: What it,
0: the hell? It's like a fucking fever dream. I was
1: just about <laughs> to say that is...
0: But the chubby behemoth part got me. <laughs>
1: no, that all of that got me. Like, because you think about fuck? what
0: David Berkowitz looks like and he calls himself the chubby behemoth.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I just... I hardly have anything to say on that. That is... I mean, as much as it's, you know, we can laugh and pick at certain parts. That's fucking crazy. It is crazy.
0: It is crazy. So
1: crazy, um, crazy.
0: So this letter was handwritten. And what's interesting about the letter is that although the spelling in the letter was pretty good, whenever he would write the word women, he would spell it Mm W-E-M-O-N. And if you change the W to a D, it would spell demon so this told the investigators that this was an individual with a clear hatred towards women and he specifically views women as demons one source said that based on the analysis that was done on the letter by former head of forensic psychiatry dr martin lubin Along with 45 other psychiatrists from Bellevue Hospital, they believed the shooter was paranoid, schizophrenic, and informed the police of their findings on May 17, 1977. They profiled him as a loner that couldn't make or maintain relationships, particularly with women. And they also considered the possibility that he believed himself to be possessed of a demonic power. So get this. All right. um, Eight police officers handled this letter. Okay. But allegedly, when all of their fingerprints had been eliminated, they could see that the shooter only used the very tips of his fingers when handling the paper and the envelope, making the prints completely unusable.
1: Holy shit.
0: They couldn't match it to anything.
1: Do you think he did that intentionally? Like, he knew that would be the case, or is it just, like, a a slip-up that just happened to, like, work out in his favor? I
0: mean... If you think about it because the the prints on your actual like fingertip, right? Like right. not your fingerprint, but no one no one handles paper and puts it in an envelope like that with just their fingertips. Like that's could you right, imagine how no. hard that would be?
1: It's just crazy like if he was actually calculated further in that way to like mm-hmm. know to do that. That's a little fucking
2: chilling well (laughs) i mean
0: thinking about it logically all right he did a lot of this stuff whether it was calculated or not he was in the military so in the military you are going to learn like different skills and different things that normal people aren't going to learn i mean let's just be real
1: right they they
0: teach these men how to kill and for a purpose
1: so it could have just been something he picked up along the it, way. It then could possibly. have been he
0: possibly could have known, hey, they can track me by my fingerprints. Let me not use my whole fingerprint.
1: Right. That's interesting as hell.
0: But I mean, I wonder if the fingertip thing is really the case, because in my head, I'm like eight people touched that letter during the 70s and they didn't have the technology that we do. And I'm not an expert and I don't know what their process would be to eliminate someone's prints. But if any of those officers' prints happened to overlap somewhere David had touched, I think they lost the prints because of how many people touched the letter.
1: Right, which makes sense. I mean,
0: I don't personally think that David would go out of his way to touch the letter like that.
1: Right, right.
0: I I mean, he, he does seem like a pretty smart individual, but I kind of feel like that's giving him a little bit too much credit.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Fair enough.
0: So anyway, uh, the nickname of the forty-four caliber killer was very quickly forgotten, and now everyone called the shooter the son of Sam after it was leaked to the press. And the papers ran with the story of the letter making headlines, like headlines everywhere.
1: Right, right.
0: So remember when we talked about Sam Carr? Yes. Well, it's believed that this is the point where Sam had received those threatening letters and his dog Harvey was was shot.
1: Right, right. Um, Which that was fucking crazy, my God.
0: And I do also want to remind that um, some sources say that the dog lived. Some sources say that, you know, Harvey didn't make it. But um, either way, since the dog was technically murdered or survived... (laughs) Um, (laughs) no one thought to compare the notes from this incident to any of the son Son of sam letters
1: got you got you
0: david wanted more attention though he could see that the fear and the chaos that he was stirring in people reading the newspaper and watching tv and he came up with the idea to write another letter but this time to the very talented and well-known investigative journalist jimmy breslin who was the top colonist that worked at New York Daily News. So one thing to know about Jimmy was that he was not scared to receive this letter from David, and he was certainly not scared to run the story either.
1: Wow. Okay. Like, okay. He, he,
0: he is... Dealt with unsavory people before, and he was like, I'm going to run this.
1: (laughs) Got you. Okay, cool, cool. So
0: Jimmy had once written about a crime family in New York and had a hit put out on him by that family. So that's why he wasn't scared at all.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Uh, Jimmy was attacked. He was bloodied and bruised, but he survived the whole ordeal. So as you can imagine, he's used to being in the thick of it. Into the thick of it. Into Into the the thick thick of it. it. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, Jimmy received a letter from the son of Sam at his home on May 30th, 1977.
1: At his home. Oh my, oh my God.
0: It was also handwritten, and the postmark indicated that it was mailed the same day it was received, but it had come from New Jersey. So that's interesting. The back of the envelope was written on, and it read, quote, Blood and family, darkness and death, absolute depravity, 44, end quote. Fuck. So a week later, after consulting with police and agreeing to withhold portions of the letter, the Daily News published it in its weekend edition to achieve maximum impact by the story. Reportedly, over 1.1 million copies of that day's paper was sold because of all the other writers that were sniffing for a story and the other newspapers didn't have anything new to report.
1: Gotcha, gotcha.
0: And yet the biggest story of all time had just landed in Jimmy's lab. So this letter read, Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of New York City, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of New York City, and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into these cracks.
1: My God.
0: And then he puts JB for, you know, Breslin. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily and find it quite informative. Don't think because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No, rather I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, anxious to please Sam. Sam's a thirsty lad. He won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for publicity." However, you must not forget Donna Loria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very sweet girl, not knowing what the future holds. I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job? Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job? Remember, Miss Loria. Thank you.
1: Oh my god, what a sick fuck
0: so he's referring to the anniversary of donna loria's murder he's basically confessing in this letter what he did that night and it was like he was asking jimmy to celebrate the day of her death
1: that is just absolutely fucking insane (laughs) like this this man is insane insane
0: the reason why he's bringing her up is because that was his first successful kill And for serial killers, their first is always significant to them because that's when they feel they now have control. So him using her name was not out of affection for her as a person, but rather to continue to feel that he had control over his first victim. So like I said, the Daily News withheld some portions of the letter, but the omitted passage read this, quote, Here are some names to help you along forward them to the inspector for use by the NCIC, which is the National Crime Information Center. They have everything on computer, everything. They just might turn up from some other crimes. Maybe they could make associations. Duke of Death, Wicked King Wicker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, and lastly, John Wheaties, Rapist and Suffocator of Young Girls. P.S. J.B., Please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working on the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. End quote.
1: What the fuck?
0: Yeah, like he's really taunting them.
1: My God. My God. God.
0: So he signed it, Son of Sam, and he drew strange symbols. When comparing the two letters together, they saw that one was messily written and the other one was written kind of neatly. So they weren't entirely sure they were indeed written by the same person. However, it truly appeared that the reason one was written neater than the other was because it was written to someone that worked in the media, making it clear that the killer wanted to be... A hundred percent clear and understood because he knew without a shadow of a doubt that it would be published.
1: That is just fucking insane. Like this really is a fucking fever dream. It's a
0: fever dream. It
1: really is.
0: So they found only partial fingerprints that they were able to salvage from this letter, which didn't have much value at the time in the act of finding him. But they would be valuable later on to match once they had a viable suspect. When the article was published, Jimmy Breslin also added a segment where he urged the son of Sam to turn himself in. With Breslin hoping his words would sway the killer, he took action for his own family by sending his wife and children to stay with his family in Rhode Island. He was like, I'm getting my family the fuck out of here.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: So when the people in New York read this article, panic and fear swept through the streets. The task force was flooded with calls of people claiming they knew who the son of Sam was. He was the neighbor who came home late every night. Then he was the odd brother-in-law who played with guns all the time. Then the weird guy in the bar who hated pretty girls. Basically, the list of suspects was now endless. And every one of those leads had to be checked out and eliminated. And there were now thousands of suspects.
1: Thousands?
0: Thousands. They were following up on tips, checking the registrations for forty-four caliber handguns, in which there were 28,000 owners. So they were also tracing activities of former mental patients, and they even set up female mannequins in cars to try to catch the killer in the act.
1: This, again, like it's the only word that aptly describes any of this to me. It is fever dream.
0: <laughs> fever dream.
1: <laughs> like fever dream. I don't even know what to make of this. I seriously don't like what a crazy, crazy investigation.
0: Right. On June 10th, Jack Cassara, who if you don't remember him, he was David's former landlord. Mm -hmm. He found a get well soon card in his mailbox from someone named Carr in Yonkers. Like Sam Carr. (laughs) What? The card included a picture of a German shepherd and it read, quote, Dear Jack, I'm sorry to hear about that fall you took from the roof of your house. Just want to say I'm sorry, but I'm sure it won't be long until you feel much better, healthy, well, and strong. Please be careful next time, since you're going to be confined to your house for a long time. Let us know if Nan needs anything. Sincerely, Sam and Frances Carr. End quote. Jack never fell off of his roof. And he had never met or was friends with anyone named Sam and Francis Carr. So Jack looked them up in the phone book and called them. After discussing the odd card with them and finding out they never sent this letter, they all agreed to meet at the Carr's home. So that evening, Jack and his 19-year-old son Stephen, they visited and during their conversation... Jack was told about the strange letters they received and how their dog, Harvey, and another German shepherd in the neighborhood had been shot. So Stephen remembered the odd guy, David Berkowitz, who had briefly rented a room in their house in the early year of 1976. He said, quote, he never came back for his security deposit when he left, and he was always bothered by our dog, too, end quote.
1: Holy shit, man, I just... I'm so in right now. Like, I am I am here. I am in. <laughs> I am so enthralled right now. I just, my God. Okay, okay.
0: So this is basically when it clicked for Sam and Frances because everyone in the neighborhood hated David because he was the neighbor from hell, remember? Right, yeah, yeah. So they all came to the conclusion that they were talking about the same guy and David Berkowitz was the son of Sam. Oh. <sighs> That's the conclusion that they came to. So Sam Carr's daughter was a dispatcher for Yonkers police.
1: Holy shit.
0: And she connected her dad with detectives. um, Actually, I don't think they're detectives. I think they're officers. They were mentioned as officers several times. But she connected them with Intervallo and Chamberlain to investigate this. Meanwhile, Nan Kassara contacted New Rochelle police and had to wait two months for them to call her back.
1: Two months. Yes. Jesus!
0: oh, the the investigation is really gonna piss you off. By the way. It's oh, really gonna piss you off.
1: Man, okay.
0: So the detective mentioned that Craig Glassman, who was, um, he was a nurse, but he was also like a part-time deputy sheriff, from what I understand. Gotcha. And he was also a neighbor of David Berkowitz. He also received a strange letter talking about a group of demons that were composed of Craig himself, the Kassaras, and the Cars. Unfortunately, all that proved was that he was a little strange, but not a killer and not the son of Sam. Often being confronted with odd yet legal behavior from citizens, there wasn't much the police could do about some nut job sending people strange letters. There's just no law against that.
1: Right, right.
0: Although they didn't think anything would come of it, they had to look into this claim. They couldn't afford not to at this point. So Chamberlain and Intervallo put David Berkowitz's name into their computer. They learned his address the registration number of his Ford Galaxy, his license was suspended, and he had a lot of parking tickets. A lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Apparently, this man don't know how to fucking park.
1: (laughs) Yeah, David Berkowitz doesn't strike me as the type of guy to park responsibly. (laughs) He definitely doesn't. I don't know. It's just the vibe he gives. It's just
0: the vibe. But they did nothing with this information, and two weeks later, there was another attack.
1: Oh, man. And they had his name. They
0: had his name. They had his car. They had everything. And they oh. did nothing with it.
1: Oh, man. I mean, uh It's difficult. It's difficult because obviously they don't know that David actually is the son of Sam. Right. But it's like... And you did say they had thousands upon thousands of leads and, like, all of this information to go through. So, like, I get that. But at the same time. The entire
0: city was going mad. The entire city was bedlam.
1: Right. Right. It's just, I don't know. It's haunting. It's haunting. It's just very haunting in retrospect because they had his name. Right. Like, they literally had it, and it's just, oh, I just, it literally gave me, like, little shivers down my spine. Like, it, uh I just don't like it.
0: Now, one source did say, and I I can't remember if I wrote this later in my notes, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, but I believe that Intervallo and Chamberlain, uh, being officers— They didn't want to step on the detective's toes because, remember, I told you about, like, the Omega Task Force being set up and stuff like that. Right, right, right. So um, there was mention in several sources where there were two officers who were kind of, you know, checking out information here and there, I guess, to, to try to help. But at one point, they actually had to contact a supervisor because they were really worried about, like, overstepping their bounds.
1: Right, right.
0: So I don't know if that was, like, this specific section when that happened. But they did nothing with it. They did nothing.
1: Goodness, man. So on June 26,
0: 1977, 17-year-old Judy Placido went to the Eliphas I think I'm saying that right. The Eliphas Disco Nightclub in Queens with some girlfriends. They had been dancing for three hours and having a good night, despite the club being almost empty. I should also mention there are variations to this story. So if my variation doesn't match up to something that you've previously heard, you know.
1: (laughs) Uh, You said, you know, let me just, you know, let me just throw the discrepancy flag into the mix.
0: Right. But they had been dancing for three hours and having a good night, despite the club being almost empty, as I said. The son of Sam had people so scared, it had thinned out crowds all across the city. There was this guy that was bothering Judy, so she approached 20-year-old Salvatore Lupo, who she described as a good-looking stranger, to help her out of this situation. Eventually, they went outside to Sal's car. Now, many sources said... They were at this club together on a date, which is the discrepancy I was talking about. But in my research, I found an interview Judy did with the New York Post on June 30th, 1999 with Andrea Pazer. And Judy said the most intimate thing she ever shared with Sal was a cigarette. So that's why I think that the story of them not knowing each other matches up.
1: Right, right.
0: So it's now 3 a.m. and they were sitting in the car having a conversation about the son of Sam.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, chills. Oh, my God.
0: Judy said, quote, this son of Sam is really scary. The way that guy comes out of nowhere. You never know where he'll hit next. End quote.
1: Bitch, I just got chills.
0: And like the fucking boogeyman, the son of Sam attacked them.
1: Holy fuck.
0: As soon as those words left her lips, shots rang out. Glass exploded. And Judy had been shot three times. Sal's forearm was draped around the back seat and one of those three bullets tore through his forearm before lodging in Judy's neck, a quarter inch from her spine. (sighs) She was also shot in the head, but thankfully the bullet didn't penetrate her skull and the third shot penetrated her shoulder. Remember, as I said, that the 44 caliber Bulldog Charter Revolver, that's a mouthful, that gun in particular, is very hard to aim because of the kickback.
1: Right, right, right.
0: And I also want to remind you about this gun from part one, that this gun in particular was fashioned for sky marshals to use on airplanes. So even though it has a very powerful kick, the propulsion from the gun is not going to go very far. Because it's not supposed to go through the airplane.
1: Gotcha. I remember you touching on that uh, last week.
0: So that's just a reminder. But... From Judy's perspective, she said, quote, All of a sudden, I heard echoing in the car. There wasn't any pain, just ringing in my ears. I looked at Sal, and his eyes were wide open, just like his mouth. There were no screams. I don't know why I didn't scream. All the windows had been closed. I couldn't understand what this pounding noise was. And after that, I felt disoriented, dazed, end quote.
1: My God, like, you saying that she was having a literal conversation about him. hmm And then he just, like, that fucked me up. That truly fucked me like up. Like the
0: fucking boogeyman.
1: <laughs> and like the fucking boogeyman asshole is missing. <laughs> Gone. Gone. Actually, you see behind, out the door? Yeah, see that walking way down the road over there? That's my asshole.
0: I don't see what you're talking about. Because it's 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 already walked out of view.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) into the sunset. Into the sunset, it is gone.
0: Like a hero on horseback that's been shot just limping away into the sunset.
1: (laughs) I'm talking like... That's an
0: old Western reference, by the way, if you didn't get that.
1: (laughs) I don't even know old Westerns. I just know that my asshole is gone. (laughs) Gone. Like it has detached from my physical body.
0: So she also said, quote, We thought someone threw rocks through the window. The echo in the car from the gunshots was incredible. I didn't know I was shot three times, end quote.
1: My goodness.
0: And I also did some research by, um, you know, I was looking up different gunshot victims and stuff like that. And a lot of people said that getting shot initially doesn't hurt. Like, you don't realize that you've been shot until the pain kicks in.
1: I can imagine, yeah, because it's so fast, Right. I mean, I just, I mean, I've never been shot. I've never been shot either. Thank fucking goodness. I hope I'm never shot. But like, I just, chills, man, chills, literal Ah. chills. Like this guy really is a fucking boogeyman. Boogeyman. Chubby (laughs) behemoth boogeyman. Chubby (laughs)
0: behemoth boogeyman.
1: I'm not with the shit.
0: So Sal jumped out of the car and ran back into the discotheque to find help. Judy was covered in blood and her right arm was immobile. She struggled to open the car door and as she finally got out, she began to scream, help me, somebody, please help me. When she tried to run back inside the building, she collapsed after a step or two. She felt a bump on her head, but had no idea that it was a bullet
1: the bullet was like in her head
0: it, it was in her head but it hadn't penetrated her skull so it was like under the skin
1: oh my god okay, okay. so
0: so she could feel the bump of the bullet being under the skin but she like
1: oh my god okay fuck
0: f- first of all girl you got angels looking out for you because like how something. the fuck how in the fuck
1: something how? i don't understand like that is just my god
0: so, both Judy and Salvatore survived and recovered in the hospital. Salvatore was left with a shattered wrist from the incident and Judy would recover physically, but emotionally it took a major toll on her, as you can imagine.
1: I could not.
0: People called them lucky, but Judy felt far from lucky. She said, quote, I was in denial about this for 22 years. I never worked through it. Emotionally, I stayed the 17-year-old I was then. Now I'm beginning to accept the fact, end quote.
1: My goodness, that is so heartbreaking.
0: So Judy and Salvatore were able to describe their attacker, and a witness nearby happened to witness a tall, white, stocky man with dark hair, the chubby behemoth himself, running from the crime scene a few blocks away as well as a blonde man with a mustache driving in the area. The police believe that the dark man was their suspect, and the blonde man was a witness.
1: Oh, fucking K.
0: Okay, but when we get further into this episode, you're going to realize there's no differentiating between the two.
1: Oh, you're fucking kidding me. Not at Don't all. Don't tell me. Not
0: at all. I, I'll get to that later. However, The
1: chubby behemoth pulled a fucking Scooby-Doo. <laughs> he pulled a fucking Scooby-Doo, didn't he? He
0: pulled a Scooby-Doo. He oh pulled my, a Scooby-Doo.
1: Okay, okay fuck. Okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: When Judy was asked why she dared to even go out that night, she said, quote, you really don't learn fear at that age, end quote. However, she said that she had no ill feelings toward David Berkowitz, saying, quote, how can I hate him? He was deranged, end quote.
1: Wow, I mean... That's a way of looking at it. The understanding is immaculate. That's crazy, honestly. Like kinda gave me goose chills on my arms. (laughs)
0: Goosey bumps. So on July thirty first, nineteen seventy seven, just two days after the anniversary of the first shooting, David struck again in Brooklyn. Twenty year old Stacy Moskowitz and twenty year old Robert Bobby Valanti headed out on their very first date. Both of their parents were concerned about them heading out into the evening hours. Bobby's mom even warned him about the son of Sam, and he told her, Don't worry, Mom. Stacy's blonde. Besides, there hasn't been any attacks in Brooklyn.
1: Oh, man.
0: Now, I watched a documentary where Bobby was saying the night before this happened, he had an unmistakable gut-wrenching feeling, telling his friend Louie that he just knew the son of Sam was going to strike either that night or the next night, which would be the night he was attacked. He said he, yeah, he said he felt it in his bones. Fuck. However, he also said that the night of July 31st, that feeling was completely gone. It was like a million miles away from him and he had no feeling at all that night that anything was going to happen.
1: That just absolutely chills me to the bone.
0: Now, Bobby and Stacy, they had met probably like a week prior to this date. And um, so they went out to go see this movie, New York, New York, and toward the end of their date, they ended up being parked along Shore Parkway in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, near a park. This is another lover's lane area, so they went for a walk and swung on a swing set nearby, but Stacy saw a man that they described as a hippie type with his arms crossed, leaning against the wall of the public bathroom nearby, just lurking. So she was getting nervous and a little spooked and she told Robert that she wanted to leave so they walked back and they got into his car but by this time the man was gone. Now he did say in an interview that he didn't think anything of this man he just figured you know it's just just a guy enjoying the park like we're enjoying the park you know it's no big deal but Bobby asked let's just stay five minutes. He wasn't thinking about the son of Sam when he suggested that they sit in the car for the moment. He was distracted by his date. He was having a good time and he felt that they were safe. You know, man things. He probably felt like, oh, I can protect her. We're good. You know, everything's going to be fine. The car was parked under a street lamp, so it was well lit. So in my mind, I'm thinking that Even if the son of Sam had crossed his mind, he probably figured there's no way someone would risk being seen in a very well-lit area to try to kill someone. Right. Like, that's just not...
1: You don't initially think that while sitting in your car. Yeah, I mean, you don't normally think that, I agree. But it just, my heart is, like, in my stomach. Right. Because I have a feeling, because we're talking about it here today, that, like, he was wrong.
0: They were sitting in the car, talking and kissing, when David walked up to the passenger side window and fired four shots, then fled back into the park.
1: My God, David.
0: Bobby's eardrums exploded as glass shattered around them. He felt Stacy collapse in his arms, but he wasn't able to see her. Everything suddenly went dark, and he thought he was dead. He later recalled to CBS News saying, quote, I was shot in the head totally blind and full of blood end quote he also shared what his thoughts were at that moment saying oh my god we're dead
1: holy like literally i know i's like all i keep saying this past like 15 minutes but i have chills like full body chills i'm not even fucking joking
0: so it wasn't until he heard stacy's moans that he realized that he was alive my God, man. He had to do something to get help, and although he couldn't see and was losing a lot of blood, he managed to get his car door open, and he stood up out of the car using his hand to, like, find the nearby street light because he was parked, like, really close to the street lamp. He was hanging onto it, and he started screaming, We've been shot. We've been shot. And he used his other hand on the car horn, reportedly honking it until the battery died and then he collapsed in the street. Now, Robert Vellante was reportedly shot twice in the face. One of the bullets basically traveled across his face over his eyes. The bullet entered through his left eye and it completely shattered his left eye and it exited through or near his right eye.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God.
0: So he lost his left eye completely and sustained partial damage to his right eye, severely limiting his eyesight to 20%. Stacy was shot once in the head and was originally taken to Coney Island Hospital, but she was transferred to Kings County Hospital, who was more equipped to deal with the extent of the damage that she had sustained. She died 36 to 38 hours later.
1: Oh, man.
0: Some reports say 36, some say 38.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Now, that just breaks my heart, man.
0: Stacy Robin Moskowitz was born June 6, 1957 in Brooklyn, New York. Bobby described her as a very sweet person. He said that even though he knew her for a very short amount of time, only meeting her and going on one date with her, he could just tell that she was a very sweet girl. Oh, She was described by her mother, Nesha Moskowitz, as beautiful, bubbly, and full of life, and Stacy was buried in King Solomon Memorial Park in Clifton, New Jersey. Now during an interview with the New York Times in 1983, Bobby said, quote, I still have bad dreams. Emotionally I'm very scarred. I'm still paranoid about walking alone at night. Here I am a grown man and I'm still afraid to walk at night. The emotional hurt was worse than the physical end quote. And as a side note, he went on to have a 35-year career with the U.S. Postal Service before he retired, which ironically was the same job that David Berkowitz worked. Now, in other interviews that I saw, he struggled for a very long time with himself because he was like, had I just listened to her and we had just left immediately like she wanted. Had I just listened to her, this wouldn't have happened. She would still be here
1: my god so as you can
0: imagine like just the weight of that
1: i just i can't boy this story will just take you fucking take you down some some path some horrible path
0: now pandemonium was spreading throughout new york as the papers now claim that no one was safe from the son of sam stacy's short blonde hair didn't match the usual chosen victims with long dark hair And it appeared the killer had changed his M.O. to now kill indiscriminately. The amount of calls that flooded the tips hotline was now reaching an overwhelming amount. The people who thought they were safe were now realizing that his victims were changing and he was appearing all over the city. People were truly terrified to leave their homes and this created a new fear that many had never experienced before. Like,
1: ever. Right. I could not imagine living through something like this. Like, that has, nothing like that has ever happened here. (laughs) Like, we've never had some shit happen.
0: The only time in my lifetime that I had seen people be afraid of leaving their homes was during COVID. Like, that's the only time that I had ever seen that in my life.
1: Right. And about the only thing social or, like, event-like that ever really happens around here that draws attention is when there's a new Dollar General that opens.
0: I mean, yeah.
1: You ain't living if you've never been to a Dollar General grand opening in Georgia, baby. I love
0: me a Dollar General, baby. I love me a Dollar General. Uh, Them prices, boy, you just can't beat it. This is not sponsored by Dollar General. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) uh, Yeah, spoiler alert, we're Southern. (laughs)
0: Very Southern. (laughs) So Detective Bill Gardella was brought in to investigate Stacey Moskowitz's murder. And the following is a clip of Detective Gardella in his own words.
2: I was awakened in the middle of the night. They said, Sarge, it looks like we got a shooting in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Maybe the son of Sam. I jumped out of bed, got dressed, and drove over to the scene at Bay 17th Street in the park. We were then given other detective units in Brooklyn to assist in questioning as many people as we could no one was safe he could strike anywhere
1: this is extremely fucking sad yeah like this is really sad and i i don't know if i'm like misinterpreting it but it's almost like when you hear him speak you can i don't know like you can almost hear like the sadness and like the i don't know there's something with his voice like how when as he's like recalling that there's just, like, some pain there. I don't know if I'm, like, reading too far into it, but that's genuinely what I picked up. And it's just, like, fuck, man, this is sad and way more horrific than I initially suspected.
0: It's pretty fucking horrific. It, pretty like it's...
1: bad. Pretty fucking bad. But, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. That was just kind of sad to listen to, honestly, like, him recounting that. Oh, we, we are still just falling down 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 down. it gets even worse okay okay i'm ready to lay it on me
0: so there were several witnesses to this shooting that were able to provide a description of the shooter to police now tommy zano and debbie crescendo were originally parked where bobby and stacy were parked but they felt they didn't have enough privacy and it was too conspicuous so they parked somewhere else which probably saved their lives But sitting in their car, they noticed the hippie-type man as well. But just like Bobby, they hadn't really thought anything of it. During the attack, Tommy saw the attack in his rearview mirror.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Now, when they heard gunshots, Debbie asked, what was that? And Tommy said, get down. I think it's the son of Sam. Now, he only got a quick look at the murderer before they ducked down and hid in the car. One of the witnesses said that the shooter looked like he was wearing a wig. He
1: Scooby-Doo. pulled a fucking Scooby-Doo.
0: So this could account for the previous varying descriptions of the suspect. For example, the incident with Salvatore Lupo and Judy Placido. Some people saw a man with blonde hair and some people saw a man with dark hair.
1: He scooby doo Oh, he fucking did.
0: So, several other witnesses saw a man matching Berkowitz's description, wearing a wig, driving a yellow car, without any headlights, and speeding away from the crime scene. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't Don't be suspicious. suspicious. So, 49-year-old Cecilia Davis was one of these witnesses who lived near the crime scene. Now she saw a man remove a parking ticket from his yellow Ford Galaxy which had been parked near a fire hydrant and he huffed and puffed and he made a big fuss before ripping up the ticket and storming off. Did you like that? Huffed and puffed and made a big fuss. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ
1: you th- I can't I can't you better okay. fucking quit it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You sat huffing and puffing. <laughs>
0: So another source, Absolute Crime, hosted Bill Gardella, and he said that she was outside walking her dog when this man walked past her holding something in his hand. Now, Cecilia told Detective Joe Strano that she came home in the early morning hours and had to walk her dog Snowball. While walking her dog, she thought a man was following her. Quote, he looked like he was trying to hide behind a tree, but the tree was too small and too narrow so he stood out i'm getting cartoon vibes
1: guys i can't help it because this is honestly chilling and it's fucking like insanely horrible but like just imagining but
0: but imagine the chubby behemoth behemoth himself himself. hiding behind a very skinny tree
1: we literally just shared a brain cell on that first (laughs) sentence like we really just did word for word so
0: she said that he kept staring in my direction then he began walking in my direction, smiling Ooh. a peculiar smile. What I can't the... say peculiar, guys. It's, uh... it's a hard word for me. It wasn't anything sinister, just a friendly kind of smile almost. End quote.
1: Oh, man, that just makes me. I know. Oh, God, God, God.
0: So when she got a closer look at him, she thought at first that he had a gun concealed in his hand, although admitting she never saw a gun. She didn't know what it was he was holding. Quote, I was frightened. I walked into my house and began to slip off Snowball's collar. Just then I heard pops, or something that sounded like firecrackers. They were kind of loud, but far off. I didn't think too much of it at the time. The next morning, there were crowds of people at Shore Road. It was then that I learned what happened the night before, and suddenly I realized that I must have seen the killer. I panicked, and I couldn't say anything. I will never forget his face until the day I die. It was frightening. End quote.
1: Holy shit.
0: Now, Cecilia did contact the police. Authorities looked back through tickets that were issued in the area for that specific car and found nothing. Because, like, in talking with Cecilia, she was 100% sure of what she saw and she was insistent about the fact that she saw a summons or a ticket that had been ripped up. Now, they checked a second time because of how insistent she was and found nothing. So they tried a third time. Detective James Justice, that's a name, that, that's a name that I like.
1: my <laughs>
0: Hey, honestly, in the words of Morbid, they said with a name like James Justice, you either have to be a detective or a superhero.
1: Yes, we completely stand Ash and Elena, here.
0: So Detective James Justice was sent to talk to the policeman who was on duty that evening to talk about this elusive parking ticket because there was literally like no record of it at this point. The officer told Detective Justice that he had accidentally left the police's copy of the tickets in his locker. So there were four tickets that were written out, and one of them had David Berkowitz's name on it.
1: Oh, shit, his Scooby-Doo ain't holding up. His Scooby-Doo is
0: starting to slip. And with this name having come up before, they initially thought that he was an important witness. And if this guy had seen something related to the son of Sam, that's basically all they cared about at this particular point in time. Right. So Detective Justice called up the authorities in Yonkers and asked them for some help tracking him down. And by some stroke of luck, he ended up getting in touch with Sam Carr's daughter, Wheat Carr. Oh. Remember, she's a dispatcher for the Yonkers police.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So he ended up getting in touch with her. And this absolutely pissed off Sam Carr and Jack Kassara because when they were told about this phone call, they had previously given information about David Berkowitz that no one followed up on.
1: Of course, again, man.
0: In fact, Sam Carr had independently pursued the matter with the Omega Task Force themselves when he drove down to the police station where the task force was headquartered. He relayed his story about the shootings of the dogs, the weird letters, the very weird neighbor David Berkowitz. Like, the task force put this information in a folder of level two priority and basically forgot about it.
1: I can't. It's, I can't. Like,
0: it's frustrating because he literally gave them the name of the killer and nothing was done about it.
1: Right, right. And then what you said earlier, they literally had his fucking address. Like, yeah. They had everything. They literally had everything. So, Ugh.
0: during the phone call with Detective Justice, we had given him a real earful about Berkowitz and everything her father had tried to tell the police days earlier. The following is a clip of Detective James Justice revealing how that conversation went.
2: Weed Carr happened to live with her dad in an apartment house right behind the apartment house that David Berkowitz lived in. And she related to me various stories about Berkowitz and their association with him and the the problems that they had with him and the fact that Berkowitz shot their black lab. The strangeness of what this guy was doing And the fact that he wasn't related to Sam Carr, but the name Sam was there. And I put this all in a report. My inspector asked me how everything went. And I said to him, I got a gut feeling we have the guy. Holy shit. Yeah, it's
0: getting real now, bro. Holy (laughs) shit. It's getting real now.
1: This is, look, we're not even done. We're not, we're not even done. This has been a fucking ride. (laughs) holy shit like this escalated to a point to where it's just like i did not even think it was going to go in the realm of this but here we are assholes and elbows i'm just like i can't and what's
0: crazy is when you think that when you think that this story is going to go a certain way it just completely goes the the opposite way. way like
1: it's crazy i'm there's just a man
0: so, Mike Novotny was a sergeant at the Yonkers Police Department, and according to Novotny, the Yonkers police had their own suspicions about Berkowitz. There were other strange crimes that took place in Yonkers, crimes that they saw were referenced in one of the Son of Sam letters. Ooh. So, Wheat Carr, which many people thought that there was some sort of mistake when they found out that Sam Carr's daughter's name is Wheat.
1: Right, right, but
0: like I think that's I think it's a cool name.
1: No, I think yeah, so. It's definitely I think a cool so.
0: Name. But Wee Carr had also told Detective James Justice about a resident in Yonkers that had also received his own strange letters that bore a striking resemblance to the son of Sam letters. and a fire was started on his porch. So apparently, and I got this from another source, there were twenty 22 caliber bullets that were set down next to this fire.
1: Holy and shit. And the
0: fire was supposed to eventually reach these bullets and set them off.
1: Okay, David. Right. Holy shit.
0: But luckily, the fire was put out before that could happen. This resident was Craig Glassman.
1: Okay. You
0: remember Craig Glassman? The nurse and the part-time deputy oh, sheriff? Oh,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. It, it slipped my mind for he, one second. But he yes. also
0: lived near David
1: Berkowitz. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm caught up. I am caught up.
0: So, remember earlier when I said that he had received letters? Well, that letter said that Craig had been chosen to die and that he was Satan's child and now he wants you by his side. It also added, we will kill you. We will murder you. And closed with, die, Craig,
1: die. Oh, fucking K. Now, okay. I, I
0: was unable to find the full letter, but with a little more digging, I found this, which was also included in the letter. It says, quote, true, I am the killer, but Craig, the killings are your command. I shall see you standing naked at the judgment seat. Upon your condemnation, the world shall rise in jubilation. The terrible, wicked Craig is dead. They shall shout, end quote.
1: Mm, okay, all fucking righty.
0: So as I mentioned earlier, the letters being sent were initially dismissed until the arson incident was mentioned. He also received two more letters, one addressed to MV Master and signed, quote, Your brother in White Plains, God help and keep the dead, end quote. The other letter opened simply with Craig's name and was signed with either the word Demo J- shirt? <laughs> di- <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I was so matter of fact and then fucked it
1: up. <laughs> you said, and one thing about me, he went to disco <laughs>
0: If it's one thing about me mm-hmm. that everybody should know, I will fuck up some words.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> my speech impediment does not leave me alone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you said you said my slurring does not discriminate, baby. <laughs>
0: it does not.
1: I don't even have to
0: be drunk and I can slur my words. <laughs> That's it's quiet. It. It's, That's it's a it. talent at this that point. That just
1: fucking sent me. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Back so, it up.
0: So anyway, it was signed with either the word schmerz. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Or 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 Himmel <laughs> oh God. Dude. And I tried looking these words up, but found nothing to what they mean. But you know what did pop up on Google? Something called something like mitchell which is supposedly <laughs> <I'm> so <sorry. laughs> which is supposedly ovulation pain. I apologize, you guys. <laughs> I <Listen>. have
1: <laughs> fucking tears rolling out of my fucking eyes right now. Like I, I can't. I don't know why that just sent me so bad. <laughs> it's so
0: bad. And I, I try to. I try to say it slowly so I don't fuck it up. But I'm still gonna fuck it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just sorry.
1: <laughs> right. Doofenshmirtz Incorporated. Doofenshmirtz. Doofenshmirtz. <laughs> Doofenshmirtz. <laughs> I can't. <laughs>
0: All right, now let me stop here for a moment and clarify the timeline a little bit. So the day that the fire was started on Craig Glassman's porch was also the same day that Sam Carr went to the police station to complain to the Omega Task Force because both Craig Glassman and Sam Carr, like I said, lived in the same neighborhood as Berkowitz. Right. So, seeing what happened to Craig and still being upset about his dog being shot, it seemed that the police were doing absolutely nothing about this psycho that they lived next to. And two days later, on August 8th, 1977, officers Chamberlain and Intervallo called Detective Salveson. To tell him about the Craig Glassman event and the letters that he had received. Now, Detective Salveson promised to inform the Omega Task Force immediately. But guess what happened?
1: I'm guessing he didn't inform them immediately.
0: The information didn't get to the task force for days.
1: So I was right.
0: (laughs) So understandably so. When Wheat Carr had received that phone call from Detective Justice, she had every right to be upset and go off because there had already been two instances where the police had been informed of David, the letters, the fires, and the assault on Harvey the dog. Okay. Right. So two detectives working the Son of Sam investigation were charged with going to 35 Pine Street in Yonkers to speak face-to-face with David Berkowitz on August 10, 1977. They saw his yellow Ford Galaxy parked outside and they decided to take a peek inside for any, you know, incriminating evidence. They saw in the floorboard of the back seat there was an army duffel bag with what appeared to be the stock of what they thought was an automatic machine gun sticking out of the bag. So without a warrant, they opened and searched the car because it wasn't locked. It was left wide open without a care with a weapon in plain view. The duffel bag had a change of clothes, underwear, a toothbrush, and a semi-automatic rifle with ammunition.
1: Holy shit. They
0: also found maps of the crime scenes in his car. Officer Ed Zago opened the glove compartment and found a letter. Now, the letter was addressed to the Suffolk County Police Chief, and another source said this letter was addressed to Sergeant Timothy Dowd and the Omega Task Force. The letter stated... You can't stop me.
1: I'm coming out. Oh, my goodness. Okay.
0: So I also found from another source, part of the letter read, I wasn't able to find the full letter, but part of the letter read, quote, Because Craig is Craig, so must the streets be filled with Craig. And then in parentheses, it says death. It continues on and says a huge drops of lead poured down upon her head until she was dead. Yet the cats still come out at night to mate, and the sparrows still sing in the morning. End quote. I,
1: okay, I, holy shit.
0: Now, again, I tried to find the full letter and was unsuccessful, but I have included what pictures I could find of all the Berkowitz letters in our photo dump. Now, one source mentioned that in this letter, found in his car, he mentioned that he was going to commit an attack in the Hamptons at a disco which was enough, apparently, for them to get a search warrant. But I think the search warrant they were granted was to search the apartment because other sources claim that the search warrant never came. So there's some variations to the story surrounding what the police were actually able to obtain at this point. Mm -hmm. The police decided to wait for Berkowitz to leave his apartment, and Detective Bill Gardella was contacted and informed of this find. So NYPD Detectives Bill Gardella... Jimmy Shay, Joe Strano, and John Falatico arrived on scene to stake out David's apartment. They hoped this would give them the time that they needed to obtain a warrant since they had searched his car without one.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: So at about 8 p.m. that evening, Craig Glassman went outside the building to check on Berkowitz's car. Now, according to what he told the New York Times, he said that he saw a duffel bag with what appeared to be the butt of a rifle sticking out. He then said, quote, about 10 men came up and asked me if I was David Berkowitz, end quote.
1: Holy shit.
0: It was at that time he identified himself to the detectives who were staking out the apartment and explained his own interest in David and the fact that he was also a police officer. He also said in this interview, quote, I never really thought he was the son of Sam. There were so many people being investigated. He didn't look like the composite. It was just luck that I was there. A strange set of circumstances, end quote.
1: Holy.
0: Yeah. So like he comes out of his house and he's walking up to the car and he goes to check it out and the police are like, Are you David Berkowitz? And he's like, fuck no. And he's
1: like, absolutely fucking not.
0: Absolutely not. In fact, (laughs) let me tell you what this motherfucker's been up to. (laughs) You know, like, basically that's how the conversation went. (laughs) (laughs) So at 10 p.m. that evening, David emerged from his apartment and climbed into his car carrying a brown paper bag. Oh, fuck. And I bet... That I don't have to tell you what was inside this paper bag.
1: oh, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna guess it was a gun.
0: It was a gun oh. it was it was the forty four caliber charter bulldog revolver.
1: Oh, son of Samuel.
0: Oh, every time I say that gun in 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 its entirety, it's like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fuck. But the following is a clip of Detective Bill Gardella describing what went down in that moment.
2: I took my gun out, ran down the sidewalk as fast as I could to confront Berkowitz before he had an opportunity to go for his gun. I screamed at him, police, don't you go for a gun. He slowly turns his head like this and smiles. Well, he said, you got me. What took you so long?
1: not no he did not oh my god so you're telling me
0: he smiled said you got me what took you so long
1: oh asshole is gone again (laughs) gone again i mean
0: i mean if you think about it like yeah what took you so fucking long you had all this information (laughs)
1: like Like no that that literally oh my god that just gave me I cannot even describe to you the chills that that gave me just like the imagery that he gave like he's running down the street like towards David fucking Berkowitz and he's like it's police like don't you dare pull your gun and he's just gonna sit there and smile and say you got me what took you so long David I am done done D-O-N-E done Asshole ejected like earlier when it ran off into the sunset. It ended up somewhat coming back. It was making its way home. It was in the home stretch, no, and no, then no, no, it no, just no. got ripped no, away. And now it's happened. like that's what happened.
0: That's not what happened. Your asshole went to a specific location where it decided that it wanted to skydive, and then it back traveled back toward your body.
1: Yeah, and that's fucking crazy because I'm terrified <laughs> of heights. <laughs>
0: your asshole went on a journey today
1: yes it did and it just i'm never gonna see it but again. do
0: you remember when i texted you last night and i was like oh my god i got the fucking heebie-jeebies i can't sit still
1: i'm guessing that's why that was why holy shit that but like,
0: was why i literally had to walk away from my phone and go out in the living room and i was like eh, 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 the whole time Literally, that was the sound that I made as I moved through my household and everybody was looking at me like, what the fuck?
1: (laughs) Okay, so like question though, because this is a real problem. Uh huh. Like this is a real issue that we're going to have to deal with. We do this podcast once a week. Yes. So we have an episode a week. So that means that next week we're going to be here doing this. We only have one asshole. I mean. We only have one asshole. If mine doesn't come back, what are we going to (laughs) do? that's the problem i'm like what are we okay today's fine and dandy but what are we gonna do next week
0: well the lesson that you learn is don't contact the omega task force to look for it
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'll even send the address and everything (laughs)
0: They still wouldn't find it, even if he did that. <laughs> Goodness
1: gracious, I just... That literally just... That, that imagery, like, I'll, I'll move on past that, past the jokes and silliness. Yeah, but That like, just, like, really fucked me up, though. But like, basically... Like, that really fucked me up.
0: But basically, he knew that he couldn't go on forever, and the fact that he smiled at the police not only unnerved them, but it fucking unnerved
1: me, too. <laughs> me, too. And I'm sure several others that are listening can say the same, like...
0: John Fallatico gave him very explicit instructions to slowly get out and put his hands on the roof of his car. Right. Now David obeyed, still smiling.
1: Oh, I don't I don't know why that just fucking freaks me out. I don't know why that freaks me out so bad, but it does.
0: So Fallatico says, Now that I've got you, who have I got? And David goes, you know. He goes, No, I don't. You tell me. And still smiling, David answers. I'm Sam, David Berkowitz.
1: Yeah, Asshole is gone. Again. It is gone.
0: So the other unnerving thing that happened was actually on the way to the NYPD headquarters. They arrested Berkowitz and put him in the back of the police car for transport. He was seated in the middle of the back seat with a detective seated to the left and right of him. Now, according to an interview with Bill Gardella, who was present in the vehicle, he said... That Berkowitz said, quote, Hey guys, so I guess the press is waiting for me at the New York City police headquarters with their cameras. Would you do me a favor? Would you comb my hair? End quote.
1: You're fucking kidding. I'm not. I'm not. Can you comb my hair?
0: This man killed six people, wounded seven, struck fear into the hearts and minds of millions, and he's not worried about spending the rest of his life in prison. He's worried about whether his fucking hair looks okay for the camera.
1: My God. My God. Okay.
0: Now, Detective Gardella didn't want to give David the satisfaction of facing the press. He wanted to take him in through the garage away from the press and the onlookers until the police captain says, Bill, no, let's get our pictures taken. Because regardless of what David wanted, the captain saw this as an opportunity to relieve and soothe the people of New York. They had caught the son of Sam and he wanted people to see for themselves that this nightmare was over wow now even the mayor was there at the headquarters and if i'm not mistaken he's even seen in several of the photos standing near berkowitz and from what i found out from morbid apparently the mayor didn't know that david berkowitz was the son of sam and he thought that he i guess was a detective and went up to try to shake his hand and the cops were like uh no
1: what Holy shit!
0: It was like some sort of snafu that Morbid was talking about, but like... My... Ash and Elena really got my ass with that. I was Uh. like, are you serious?
1: (laughs) That is insane.
0: So the following is a clip from Brian Cates, who was working the night shift when he got the news that David Berkowitz was arrested. Now, Brian was a reporter for the New York Daily News, and he had been working this story for some time as he was the reporter to have a one-on-one discussion with Nesha Moskowitz, Stacy's mother. This is what he had to say about the social climate after the son of Sam had been caught.
2: Everybody was a buzz with this. There was jubilation in the city. Um, and in fact, there were parties at uh, bars and clubs celebrating the fact that he'd been captured. There was a collective sigh of relief that the police had got their man and that hopefully the killings were over.
0: Now, as a side note, it later came out that Berkowitz was planning a mass shooting at that disco in the Hamptons with the semi-automatic rifle that he had in the back of his car.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And if the police hadn't captured him that evening, it's believed that's where he was headed.
1: Mike, and there's no telling how many people he would have killed. Right. There's no telling. He was
0: planning for mass casualty. So in capturing him, the NYPD had basically stopped him before the worst was yet to come. There's no telling how many more lives would have been lost at the hands of David Berkowitz.
1: Chills. My God. I never knew he was like... Yeah, it's one thing. He's, like, literally shooting people to death. But, like, the fact that this man was planning, like, a mass shooting, like, Mm -hmm. he was just going to go into this disco and just unleash unprecedented hell. Yeah. I just, that chills me to my bone. That's something that I didn't know about him. I mean, I didn't know a whole lot about him at the start of this, but I seriously didn't know that. That is chilling.
0: Detective Bill Gardello was one of the first to search David's apartment. He said that every time he talks about what he found, it gives him full-body chills.
1: Oh, God.
0: Amongst his disheveled apartment that was littered in books and pamphlets, David had photographs of all the girls he killed on the floor that he had cut out of newspapers. There were holes in the wall that he claimed voices would come out of, and he would try to stop these voices by hitting the wall. He wrote notes next to each of the holes, and one of these notes was so disturbing that Detective Gardella said he had actually committed this note to memory. It read, quote, "'Hi, my name is Mr. Williams, and I live in this hole. "'I have several children I'm turning into killers. "'Wait till they grow up,' end quote." Another next to that read, quote, "'My neighbors, I have no respect for, "'and I treat them like shit. Sincerely, Williams.'" There were numerous images of satanic graffiti that he had drawn on the walls and diaries detailing 1,488 arsons in the New York area. His mattress laid on the shag carpet with no frame, with blankets thrown every which way, amongst open cardboard boxes, music records, and miscellaneous trash and clothes. His windows were covered in sheets or blankets that he had nailed up. And in the photos I included of the small apartment, like it really is a small apartment. It looks like it's just one room with a bathroom and maybe a kitchen. Right, right. right. So it looked like he had at one point torn the blankets off certain parts of the windows to look out over the city. It truly was something that Detective Bill Gardella had never seen before. And in his own words, he admitted it would be a sight that he'd never forget.
1: I can easily see why. Holy shit.
0: Sergeant Joseph Coffey, you remember I, um, I introduced him in the first episode, but um, Joseph Coffey was called in to interview David, and David confessed calmly and candidly about the details of each of the shootings. When the interview was over, there was no doubt that he was the son of Sam. The details that he gave about the assaults were bits of information that only the killer would know and at the end of the interrogation, David politely wished Joe Coffee a good night. Oh he was absolutely dumbfounded by David saying quote, "When I first walked into that room I was full of rage but after talking to him, I feel sorry for him. that man is a fucking vegetable end quote
1: uh, okay yeah, holy shit.
0: Psychologists argued whether he was mentally competent and fit to stand trial. According to Dr. David Abrahamson, the prosecution's forensic psychiatrist, said, quote, While the defendant shows paranoid traits, they do not interfere with his fitness to stand trial. The defendant is as normal as anyone else, maybe a little neurotic, end quote. He was ultimately found fit to stand trial as he fully understood the charges against him. Now, his lawyers wanted him to mount an insanity defense, but after consulting a priest, David decided that he wouldn't do that and he would plead guilty. Now, on June 12th, 1978, 25-year-old David Berkowitz was sentenced to 365 years in prison.
1: Holy shit.
0: Reportedly, 25 years for each murder. There was no trial. He would serve his sentence in New York's Supermax Prison, Attica Correctional Facility. So in February of 1979, David Berkowitz held a press conference and stated that his claims about the demonic possession, the voices, and all that were a hoax. He further stated to a court-appointed psychiatrist that he was lashing out in anger against a world that he felt had rejected him. He also felt that he had been particularly rejected by women, which many believe could be one of the reasons that he specifically targeted attractive young women. But from some information that I found, there was a lot more to it than that. In 1979, Robert Ressler, who is an FBI veteran, he interviewed Berkowitz in Attica prison three times. David had been allowed to keep a scrapbook that he compiled of all the newspaper stories of the murders. Essentially, in my personal opinion, he kept these scrapbooks to keep his fantasies alive. Now, when Ressler made it clear that he didn't buy the demon dog theory, eventually he was able to get some semblance of truth on the matter. The demon dog story was basically to protect himself in the event that he was caught, so he would appear to be insane. Now, allegedly, David admitted to Ressler, quote, that his real reason for shooting women was out of resentment toward his own mother and because of his inability to establish good relationships with women. End quote. He would become sexually aroused by stalking and shooting young women, and he would allegedly masturbate after it was over.
1: Holy fuck.
0: Now, according to Resler, David admitted that stalking women had become a nightly adventure for him. In the event that he didn't find a victim that night, he would go back to the scenes of his earlier murders. Resler said, quote, it was an erotic experience for him to see the remains of bloodstains on the ground, a police chalk mark or two. Seated in his car, he would often contemplate these grisly mementos and masturbate, end quote. And as we've previously discussed in other episodes, murderers will often return to the scene of the crime, not out of any form of guilt, but because they want to relive these memories of their crimes, and usually it's for their own sexual pleasure. So David allegedly also admitted that he wanted to go to the funerals of the victims, but he was afraid that the police or the families would become suspicious of him. However, he did hang around diners near the police stations in hopes of overhearing policemen talking about his crimes on their lunch or dinner breaks. He also tried yeah he also tried to find the graves of his victims but he was unsuccessful like many other serial killers he nourished his ego from the public attention that he received in the media for his crimes he read a book on jack the ripper and got the idea of sending his own letter to jimmy breslin because jack the ripper wrote the from hell letter and sent it to the authorities and this inspired david to do the same for his own crimes Resler also found out that, quote, after the press started calling him Son of Sam, he adopted the moniker as his own and even fashioned a logo for it, end quote. Now, I did happen to find even more clarification on the story of the demonic dog from David Berkowitz himself. He did an interview. Maybe about two years ago, I know it was posted two years ago, and I'll provide the full two-hour jailhouse interview in the show notes if you'd like to listen to his perspective on certain things. I mean, me personally, I don't really give a fuck about anything he has to say, considering what he's done. (laughs) I'm just being real. He doesn't discuss the murders. But he does go on to talk about things that he feels were misconstrued. Now, I am not advocating for David Berkowitz and never fucking will. So don't get it twisted. Let me give you a telescope so you can see how far you got me fucked up. But I thought this particular part of the interview was interesting. And it pretty much solidifies for me anyway, that what Robert Resler managed to get from David during their interviews is aligned more on the side of truth. Now, this is a rather lengthy clip being almost eight minutes long. And if you'd rather not hear anything he has to say, you can totally skip it. We won't be mad at you.
1: We'll never be mad at you.
0: But here's David Berkowitz himself talking about, from his perspective, the whole story of the demon dog.
2: You know, one other misconception is, of course, the big story about the dog, uh, the the talking dog. First of all, as I shared in... uh, The article that my mother gave to the Good Housekeeping back in 1978 where my sister also spoke Uh, and I had a lot of you know mental health issues I really was losing my mind I had become schizophrenic and uh, I believe that was a result of the the demons that were really inside of me and working and I opened myself up to But I had mental health issues all my life, and behavioral issues all my life, including the uh, attention deficit disorder, and hyperactivity, which back then as a child, you know, wasn't even recognized. You were just, I was just seen as a nuisance at a a disciplinary problem, and somebody for teachers to scream at because of things which I couldn't control. I'm I'm sorry, I just couldn't control that stuff. But nevertheless, my mental health began to deteriorate. And at times I was hallucinating, and I did, during some occultic rituals use LSD, as well as drink some wine. So I had some maybe after effects of that, and I used LSD when I was in the army too. Not to make excuses, but this was at the time some of the things I was dealing with. As, as a young man, you know, just trying to make it in life, and, and just trying to survive, and just doing things that young men usually do sometimes without thinking, you know. Um, it, because, because of the, of, 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 of the Satanism, One of the deities that I used to pay homage to was a deity by the name of Samhain, Samhain, which I used to call Samhain, spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, Samhain. He was a Druidic deity of Druids, which demanded human sacrifice, and because I used to seek communication with this this demonic entity as, as dumb and crazy as it sounds I you know this I, I regret this this was a nightmare but at the time that's what I was doing so I was calling upon this demonic entity this druid spirit and it, w- it was like he was reaching out to me in my mind I was really felt I was really getting messages from him I was reading literature uh, from a, a church called the the Pro- the Process Church of Final Judgment, I was using some of that literature which was calling on uh, to start anarchy and, and and try to bring in the end of the world so so that Jesus could come back it was It was a whole mixed up twisted philosophy, but it it was something that was I believe demonically energized. The teachings which I was reading from also the satanic the satanic Bible and other things I was trying to do. Uh, at that time of my life of searching and everything, these things became very real. It was hard to distinguish reality from, from, from that. And, you know, still struggling to make a living and work and pay bills. And even though I was getting further and further behind, when I was arrested, I only had $65 to my name. So I was on a collision course with death. Um, also, uh, oh, well, concerning the, the so called dog. Um, after I I came to to prison because that became a big thing you know they said the the media and everything went wild the dog made him do it Harvey the dog which was a neighbor's dog named Harvey had nothing to do with the uh, the, the 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 crimes it had nothing to do with the crimes, but the media somehow i you know i don't know they made it made it like the, that dog was talking to me this or that there was a time of a lot of confusion but i was trying to let people know in a roundabout way a way it was my fault too but i was trying to let people know no this, sam said the dog's name was not sam it was named harvey sam hain sawin was the deity that was communicating with me and people could never make that distinction because they had no understanding of spiritual things. And I couldn't explain it clearly myself. My mind was a mess. So that's how that whole thing started. And when I got to prison, uh, you know, when, you, when you're a new person in prison, especially when you have a high profile case like I did, you know, a lot of the guards, a lot of the inmates would tease you. You know, you have that time, kind of thing, initiation phase where you're a new Jack coming into prison. I came to prison uh, with multiple life sentences I went to Attica Prison, one of the most dangerous and infamous prisons in the United States, because uh, about seven or eight years earlier, they had a major riot where over 40 people were killed. And and so it it had a terrible reputation and and it was a, a, a difficult atmosphere. And so I took a lot of ribbing from people about the dog. Sometimes guys would make barking noises. Some of the guards even just teasing me would make barking noises, go, oh, and you know, it's stupid childish stuff but that's you know how it is in that, in that kind of life and but it used to bother me so much and i got into a few fights over that and uh, one day i just i said thinking that I, it was kind of like a magical thinking i think that i was thinking that if i just said oh there there was no real talking talk or anything like that that it, all the everything would just go away so I, I i said that to somebody i wrote that to somebody in the media and um, It made it look like the whole story was made up but it it wasn't I can't I it wasn't really made up I mean I there was an actual demon by the name of Sam Hain that, that I was communicating with I regret to say that sounds very dumb but at the time I really believed that stuff you know and I was really brainwashed and and I believe I was under a degree of hypnotic control this is not to make an excuse for anything but at the time of my life that's how messed up I was I still even in my even when I was in Attica, I still had some occult books and I was practicing rituals in myself very dumb and foolish things, but that's what I was doing uh, in my ignorance and in my rebellion and just trying to survive. I only wanted to survive. So I figured that by saying, oh, there was no dog, I just made the whole thing up, the whole thing would go away. But really it was confusion to begin with because there really wasn't a, a dog, it was a demon. But no one was able to make that distinction, and so for years, and even till today, there's been a lot of misconceptions about that. And that'll probably always be there because it's too complicated to figure out. People listening, oh yeah, sure, I just, you know, but that's the way it was. It was just a um, a lot of confusion, yeah.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things. Right. That I want to say. <laughs> okay, first, I'm just going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> when when he started talking about how the other guys in prison <laughs> and guards. <laughs> I'm so, I'm I I fucking got sick. I'm sorry. I, mean, I, I, mean, I could not help it. Like that is, I could not help that it. That
0: is a god tier level of trolling that yes. i've ever heard in my like, life
1: just hearing him talk about that that absolutely just sent me through the fucking roof like it sent me through the roof now now the, now the next elephant in the room sam hayne okay the druid deity yes. that is the I'm gonna dumbest cover that. that is the dumbest shit That I have ever heard in my life.
0: I'm going to cover that.
1: Like, that is absolutely the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. If we have any other pagan listeners um uh, hi, I'm, I'm sure there was <laughs> hi
0: hello how hi, are you doing? hello family but
1: i'm sure we all just rolled our eyes like got stuck in the back of our head rolled right. our eyes like listening to that i was like come on david like come like, on tell
0: me you don't know shit about deities without telling me you don't know shit about deities right <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna take a moment to clear this up right now all right, for people who are not pagan, who have never heard the word Samhain or Samhain before, I mean, I I think in the year of ye old twenty twenty four, that we would all be familiar with the word Samhain by now.
1: Right, I mean, you would think, but unfortunately. So
0: Samhain, pronounced Sowen, is not a demonic deity. Samhain is not a Celtic deity of death. No, it's not. <laughs> Samhain isn't. A deity at all,
1: okay? <laughs> literally, literally.
0: Now, Samhain or Samhain is the time to mark the end of the fertile season and to basically embrace the dark time of the coming winter. Like, that is the, the time in the wheel of the year where, right. where everything begins to die... You know, th- it's Halloween. Everything begins to die. The veil you is are, very
1: thin, right?
0: And you transition into the winter months, right? And right. then when spring hits, now when spring hits, that's supposedly supposed to be the actual beginning of the year. Well, not- I was,
1: yeah. Well, I was gonna say in witchcraft, uh, Samhain, Samhain, that is the witch's new year, right? Basically. Well, so I don't know if it's that way in other traditions. For, but.
0: for other traditions, the beginning of the year actually begins in spring when you have new life growing. Right. That because, makes sense completely. Because why would you celebrate a new year in the middle of the death of nature, basically? Right. You know right, what I mean? Right,
1: right, right.
0: Now, <laughs> this misconception of Samhain being a god of death can be traced all the way back To the 1770s. Now, I've done my homework on this, okay? A British colonel and military surveyor named Charles Valancey started this bullshit by writing a series of books full of bullshit, trying to prove that the people of Ireland had originated from Armenia.
1: Oh. Okay, Okay. Okay. And
0: his claims and assumptions were not only sketchy, but they were based on completely groundless evidence. So this man wrote a series of bullshit full of misinformation and, again, complete bullshit. Let me (laughs) let me emphasize that right away. But in the 1900s, there was a writer named Godfrey Higgins that perpetuated the rumor, trying to claim that the people of Ireland originated from India can can y'all just leave the people of Ireland alone, please? Can can we leave can we leave the Celts alone, please?
1: Goodness gracious, man. Okay. Right. <laughs> like
0: literally. But um popular religious literature in the nineteen eighties further perpetuated this God of Death bullshit when Jack Chick produced pamphlets that read, quote, October thirty first was celebrated by the Druids with many human sacrifices and a festival. Honoring their sun god and Samhain, the lord of the dead. They believed that the sinful souls of those who died during the year were in a place of torment and would be released only if Samhain was pleased with their sacrifices, end quote.
1: Fucking shit. Now,
0: I don't know how far back Jack Chick's work goes, but... It could possibly explain where David Berkowitz had picked up this misconception because he did say that he was reading pamphlets. And Jack Chick's work was published in pamphlets and handed out in, in the 1980s. It was illustrated and everything with this bullshit.
1: My God. So
0: Jack Chick was a evangelist there i said it correctly i keep wanting to say evangelical like <laughs> like wasn't, the anime
1: he was an evangelical yeah but
0: he was an evangelist who knew nothing about anything pagan related and had the audacity to publish his completely biased and uneducated farce of written works on the history of halloween now let me get off my soapbox <laughs> but i can't stand by and let misinformation like this continue
1: right right
0: because jack chick was an american cartoonist and publicist who made these pamphlets and basically it was like now is this something that you would want your children to participate in
1: goodness like it was it was
0: fear-mongering on a religious level
1: Right, and right.
0: I, I think that maybe he had gotten a hold of some of these pamphlets because he said that he was talking about it had come from a church where they were basically talking about where he had misconstrued it, I guess, where it was anarchy to bring back Christ and all this. other Right, right. You know, and it, it's just when we think about people like this in history who I mean, if you're going to maybe do some research you don't think these you don't think this group of people originally you know was from this location that's one thing to get into that's one thing to look into if that's your interest but don't publish the shit and push it off like um like it's true okay right let's not
1: let's not do that like
0: we don't need that (laughs) my
1: eyes almost got stuck in the back of my head
0: no my eyes indeed got stuck for like days
1: (laughs) (laughs) my eyes got
0: so stuck i could not see the only thing i could see was my asshole that was gone from the back of my head
1: (laughs) asshole missing from the rear view
0: asshole missing from the rear view but in 1990 berkowitz was moved to sullivan correctional facility and following that he was then housed at new york i'm gonna butcher this i'm sorry shawangook correctional facility now that's a name He has been there since 2016, and today, Berkowitz claims he is a born-again Christian and a child of God, and now supposedly calls himself the Son of Hope. (laughs) He is 71 years old and will remain in prison until his dying day. And that concludes part two on David fucking Berkowitz.
1: (laughs) Holy shit. Listen, listen, you did the damn thing. I am also happy the damn thing is done. Like I just over this past like two weeks, I've learned so much. Like there's so much to him. Like I had no idea. Like I really truly had no idea that he was half of this shit. Like this is truly beyond like, even on the note, like, with the demon dogs and, and, you know, the hallucinations, like, okay, let's say that he did just make all that up and that wasn't really a thing. I mean, I, still. I mean,
0: okay, so, like, the the deteriorating mental health and the schizophrenia. Very and, real. And the ADHD. Very real. Clearly. Very real. <laughs> um, You know, obviously, when you're in prison, y- you you do have access to medication for mental health. Right. From what I understand, I've never been to prison, but, you know. <laughs> Your girl's never even been arrested. I don't even know what the fuck that's like. <laughs> Maybe I should go rob something, <laughs> you know, but but no, seriously. Um. So, the d- deteriorating mental health and the schizophrenia, like, that would explain a lot of the bullshit.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely explains it. Like, it 100% explains it. Like, the holes it. in the
0: wall and the messages and this, that, and the third. Now we've talked about this before being schizophrenic and then having an outlet that ends up being unhealthy for your mm-hmm, mental state such good. as people who can't handle their satanism and i say it that way because hi satanists in the chat hello hello but, uh, but
1: <laughs>
0: like people who get certain forms of media that they're not able to personally digest they're not able to personally logically think about these things for themselves
1: It it creates an issue. I can see the where it would create a huge issue. It definitely does.
0: And then as he described, you know, when you're dealing with mental health like that and then you're dealing with these certain belief patterns, wires get crossed. Wires get crossed. Things get misconstrued, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, uh, oh. well, I believe in this because of this. Well, that's not true. You know what I mean?
1: It's just, like, the whole picture in itself, like, the point that, like, I originally, like, was making to, It's, like, even... Even if all that stuff doesn't have credibility, like if he says most of this was a hoax, like if it was or if it wasn't, regardless, just very factually speaking, mm-hmm. this case is fucking chilling. I like mean, it, it really is, is wild. It is absolutely one of the most insane stories I've ever heard. I mean, it's it's chilling.
0: Now, I did it's not truly watch chilling. did not watch the full two hour interview. could not stomach it, couldn't even stand to look at the guy, couldn't stand to hear his voice. Watch right. his little fish lips move, you know. Um, <laughs> right, right. Um, he very much reminds me of a character from Spongebob. Oh, my God. I mean, he just does. But anyway, um, I didn't watch the full two-hour interview, but one of the things that he had said was that the reason why, you know, people were asking him about the smirk that he had in a lot of the photos that were taken of him, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, so, like, that that little, like, sheepish sheepish grin, There goes my impediment again. He explained it as he was embarrassed. And that's why he was smirking. Because for men, a lot of the times, like, they don't, according to, according to David Berkowitz, okay, men, when they don't know how to deal with embarrassment, Will sometimes smirk like, oh shit, I fucked up, you know? But,
1: um, okay, okay, David, okay.
0: But, um, according to him, like, he was mainly smirking out of embarrassment, um, he, he didn't really know how to handle a lot of the things that were, that, were, that were done to him, apparently. He had described some weird scenario that I guess is called the perp walk. Now, I've never heard of this before, so maybe if anybody else knows about this specific thing, you could give me some more information. But supposedly, they had him in handcuffs and walked him around several blocks So that way, the public could actually see his face. And he said that there were like flash bulbs going off everywhere from the cameras. And he said that it was a very like scary and frightening experience. But oh,
1: you know what? Look, I'm go ahead. Let me say, let me say again,
0: not advocating for this piece of shit. No,
1: I'm and I'm not advocating for him either. I honestly don't believe that part at all, like honestly, because you. Wanted the attention right? You wanted the attention because of what you did You oh, was, he you wanted was, the attention You was keeping like a scrapbook You was keeping pictures of the women that you killed uh-huh. you, you wanted to be in the spotlight You wanted the attention for this So personally I think he soaked the shit up And he smiled because he was proud of what he had done There ain't none of this Oh I was embarrassed uh-huh. I didn't really I know how to handle it I didn't know how to handle having my pictures taken listen, After listen. I shot six people
0: Like if you're walked around the block butt ass naked That's one thing to be embarrassed about okay but like right no i don't think he all, was
1: embarrassed at all he was very quite proud of what he did I,
0: I think i think that's the case too and i was just bringing that up just to be like okay this is the type of stuff that he's saying. right i mean
1: it's good to get that perspective but, um, but still but like you come know on what?
0: like i think that he got what he wanted with the attention but then like the amount of the attention he didn't know what to do with I, I honestly mean, that, think that, that, could, that could have been the case. That
1: could be true, too. That could very well be true, too. I just personally believe... But
0: then again, why would you smile at the fucking police and be like, oh, well, what took you this long? You know what I mean? Right,
1: that's what I'm saying, so I don't know. I don't... This 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 story is crazy. David Berkowitz is fucking crazy. Again, just one of the craziest stories I think I've ever heard, so... We do appreciate you guys listening. We hope that you enjoyed Ray's two-parter. She definitely fucking delivered the DiGiorno. (laughs)
0: DiGiorno ain't delivery, baby.
1: Is it? I thought it was.
0: DiGiorno ain't delivery, baby. Oh, you're right, because it's two separate things. That's the whole moniker, motherfucker. if (laughs) If it's
1: not delivery, it's DiGiorno.
0: Exactly.
1: Well, either way, you delivered it. (laughs) (laughs) You absolutely did the damn thing with this one. Like, holy shit, I am reeling. I would love to know any of our listeners. uh, Tell us what you think about this one.
0: Did you also lose your asshole?
1: I know. I definitely, like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I'm on a five, six day time limit to get mine back
0: from this. We are are doing our homework and trying to actually start a fund for people losing their assholes because of our show. (laughs) So, so if you or a loved one has lost their asshole due to our show.
1: <laughs> I'm absolutely fucking done. But no, for real, you did great. This was awesome. I think we can go ahead and wrap this up. So, you guys, if you want to follow Ray and I and all of our you well, great news. You can totally do that.
0: You can find us on Facebook at
1: Gore Report, a true crime podcast on Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast
0: on Patreon.
1: www.patreon.com Gore Report Podcast. That's a mouthful. And it's definitely a mouthful.
0: And if you just want to drop us a line or request a case, you can always feel free to email us at
1: Gore Report Pod at gmail.com. All
0: right, guys, we love you. Stay safe.
1: Don't walk out in the darkness alone <laughs> yeah never ever ever do that never, and, uh, ever, ever. and until next time bye, bye. but what are the chubby behemoth are you afraid you should be you should be